Welcome back to the Full Mutuality Podcast. This episode is a continuation of our last episode, so if you haven't listened to that yet, please go back and check it out before this one. Now here's part two of our conversation with Jessica Goforth, co-host of the podcast Leaving the Village. So I want to go back to your your story of being in, in solitary. Um, oh, it, sounds, okay. it sounds so scandalous. What, what did you do? Okay. They put you in solitary. Right. <laughs> Pretty much nothing. So, so, so you were, you were in this prayer room. Um, and how, how long were you in there for? Four days. Four days. Just by mm-hmm. yourself. But no. I think that like yeah. even worse than that is you had no idea when you were coming out. So you you could, after no. three days, be thinking in your head, when are they ever going to yeah. let me out of here? I didn't know if my parents knew I was in there. I didn't know, you know, everyone was gone. It, like my class had all gone on a little trip. And so they were all like gone. And I was like, everyone's pretty much forgotten me. Like it, it really felt like I'd been stuck in a room and forgotten. Did, did any, nobody visited you that you didn't have? Yes. Okay. No, they visited me daily. Um, okay. Someone brought me three meals. Um, they were, I um, it was usually another student, okay. like my roommate or a, uh, another girl from the same floor was just said, hey, pick up a plate of food for Jessica. Make sure it has nothing on it that is exciting, like you just the most basic food. Um, and so they would bring it and they drop it off. And then I would set that then someone would come by later and ask for the tray and I would give it back to them and it would go away. So that was three meals a day. And then in the morning, someone would come and you, sometimes it was the same per- person, just some student that they said, hey, go give this stuff to Jessica in prayer room on the 10th floor. And so they would knock on the door and it would o- or it would open because I didn't have any way of controlling that. And they would hand me a pile of materials to do um, and assign a list of assignments on the top of the materials that they handed me. They were all ATI materials, like different types of booklets and stuff. And then at some point, someone would come and either ask me to give them all of the stuff that they had asked for or recite all of the things that I had been asked to memorize. Um, And then they – I would – they would leave and that would be the end of the day. And then at some point, every single one of those days, all four days, someone would show up and take me to a counseling session. And I put that in air quotes because mm. it was very weird. Well, it wasn't um, counseling. <laughs> I mean, one of those stories uh, sounded very, very traumatic. Um, it was they every single one of them was traumatizing. Um, I'm thinking of the way. one where he threw down a Bible in front of you and was like, "What is this?" And you're like, "What, what is your this? question is this? It's a Bible. What am I supposed to say?" And and that's what I did. I said, "It's the Bible." And then he thunderously screamed at me, "It is the whole Bible, oh, and the fact that you did not recognize that it is the whole Bible." means that you have the sin of whatever in your... I don't even remember. The sermon went from there. Wow. He got a nice <laughs> monologue at you for hours. And he gave you he gave you a sermon by yourself? You, God. He gave about me how a, you a, see God's holiness in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and how I didn't recognize God's holiness or the holiness of the Word of God. And that was part my problem. And I was like... It almost great. feels like they came in with a set of questions to trap you, like... Off the bat mm-hmm. to figure out, we're going to let her know she has a problem. And we're going to, I don't I wonder if these are back pocket questions they used on many people. And like, yeah, it really felt like, yeah, it, it it very much felt like this was a routine they went through many times. They had it down. It, and that's why I, like I labeled the, the podcast uh, brainwashing mm. because it was very intentionally, everything had been honed. To work mm. the way that it did, which is to break you down. And, you know, I would have done anything to get out of that room. Mm. I, didn't, I would have said anything they wanted me to say, um, recited anything they wanted me to recite. Um, and um, my roommate, who I had been rooming with before that, we had been rooming for about four or five months at that point. Um, and we were great friends. Um, she says that when I came out, I was not even the same person at all. Like she said, you went in one person and came out someone totally different. Um, I was very withdrawn. Um, I just and I I couldn't even tell you because it was me and I don't I don't know how I changed. You know, mm. it's, it's hard. And you're like, I don't know, I changed. Okay. Um, I just remember being miserable. Mm. 
and and just wanting to go home. And um, it was a very rough period of time. And I went home that Christmas heavily dealing with PTSD, and I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And my family didn't know that. And so there was a really big, ugly family scene um, with my parents um, where they threatened to send me back instead of letting me spend Christmas at home with the family. Um, And that was deeply traumatizing. Um, I was able to stay for Christmas. Do they know about what they put you through? They knew after the fact. They didn't know I was locked in that room until after I was released. And and they were like, well, I mean, your teacher told us she was going to try to, you know, make an example of you and did we mind? And so that's when I realized that this was more about solidifying power and control in the entire training center. So, and these places had, from what I remember you describing, cameras mm-hmm. outside the doors, and like there had been attempts mm-hmm. of people to run away, but they were on it. If as soon as you left those doors, they yeah. knew you were out. They had cameras. Things went into lockdown. The building would go into yeah. lockdown. Yeah. Yep. The building would go into lockdown, and alarms would go off. The whole, like a fire alarm type of thing. So there's um, no way would out. Go off. If you get if you stuck in the this. door. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was no point in even opening the door, mm. you know, to try to go out. Um, and there were um, cameras in all of the stairwells and everything so they could monitor which direction you went, you know, if you tried to run. Oh, wow. um, but again, the doors would lock down. This happened regularly. Because you have the low man and then you have the kids who are whose parents are paying to have you there. They're regular homeschooled kids that grew up fine, quote unquote. Mm. Um, they could get a little cocky and get out of order and they would get to where they felt like they needed to get everyone in line. And they staged some sort of mass punishment or, you know, withdrawing of privileges on a semi-regular basis Hmm. just to keep everybody shook up and, and nervous and watching their step. And I really do believe that I was just one of those stunts. Mm. And because I was halfway decently well-known because I was kind of social. And so people knew who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it they made an circulating, example of you to, the, to that scare was, the other kids as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you can, you can keep way more control over yeah. everyone when you have one have done this once. Right. You only have to do it once, right? And your your students yeah. terrorize. And if it's if it's somebody that yeah. that everyone knows, they can whisper that story around. And yeah. oh, like, really? Did you hear Jessica's yeah. in a prayer room? Did you hear they put Jessica in the prayer room? Like, oh my gosh, what did she do? I don't even know. Mm. You know, like that was just like wow. Oh, everyone was asking me afterward, what happened? Like, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Mm. Like, I don't even know what to say. Wow. So big picture, I'd, like for people who, who are still kind of like hearing this and be like, wow, all of that is really weird and we have no basis of, of, of connecting to any of that. <laughs> um, there was a TV show um, not, not mm-hmm. terribly long ago um, about a family that was connected to ATI, IBLP, right? Um, yes. Was fam- it on TLC? Was that what it was on? What, ne- what network yes. was airing that? I think mm-hmm. it was TLC. Yes, yeah. it's TLC. Mm-hmm. I think it started in, uh, I want to say, 08, 09-ish is when they had their first, like, mini, little bit, little, like, mini series where, or what do they call those where you do, like, a, a, just a special. Okay. A a TV special. A TV special. what they call it. Yeah. They did a couple of TV specials. And then, um, and... So this is after my ATI days. I was married and left in 97. Okay. So um, were you I, curious the, the about were, the show? Were you, do you know about them? So I, I did not know the Duggars when we were in. They were in at the same time I was. Okay. But they had little tiny kids and they were probably running around and just looked like a lot of the other families that had five or six little kids. Right. So I, I didn't, I started to hear some rumblings about the show. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's about the last thing I ever want to watch. Um, and then it probably wasn't until more like the 13, 14, you know, 2013, 2014 period of time that they started to be like, and I, no, no, no. I think it was about 2010, 2011 that I pulled it up and watched a few episodes online. Okay. And the show's called 19 Kids and Counting, am I right? Counting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah, they are ATI. Like this is, and 
I don't think I made it through an entire episode before I was like, too much. I can't do this. Mm, like, it's yeah. just, I was deconstructing hard at that point and like so done with all things HI. And at that point, I had, for, I had started calling it a cult. So, mm-hmm. Wait, just getting back to the show, the way they presented it was, I guess, romanticizing ATI. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I and, see. and they don't really mention. ATI. ATI or IBLP. Like, you just knew it I'm was. Not, we all knew it was. And if you followed any of their show notes or like um, pages about them, well, of course, Free Ginger began okay. during that era, which is a, um, if, for people who don't know, was one of those early, um, what did you call it? Like a forum, kind of like Reddit, okay. where you would just talk about stuff. Mm. And Free Ginger was a specific thread that was about the Duggars and ginger is one of the daughter's names mm. and they've there. Uh, the name came from the idea that people that closely watched the show felt like ginger wanted out. Mm. Like she didn't really want to buy into it all. That was kind of the fans, you know, take okay. on some of the way that they, the talking heads that they did of the kids. Cause the kids would all do talking heads, mm. um, kind of like the office, you know, right. or whatever. And um, so um, they that's what spawned that. And so in there, people start talking about like, so what do they teach their kids and where do they get this information and what do they and that started like spreading around and around and everybody then knew they were in ATI. Mm. And then they became like top speakers at the ATI conferences and say it would be like the Duggars are going to speak. And that continues to today. Like they are still speaking at the ATI conferences that are these little tiny camps. They're, wow. ATI is a fraction of what it was. At I was, I was I wondering was with all of this going down and I mean, the stuff with Bill Gother, the stuff with the Duggars and their connection uh-huh. to ATI and, and what's come out with them. But like, we'll get to that. Um, I was just in my black my head. I'm wondering, has it squashed ATI? Has it, you know, made the movement shrink? Is there like, I always hope when mm-hmm. there's a cult that it dies. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. I yeah. can't want to watch it just I, suffocate. It's a cult that will never die. I don't understand why it's not dead already. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of those things where I'm just like, there's got to be some wealthy donors. <laughs> like, so, yes. There's a few wealthy donors behind the scenes. Keep well, it's pumping. not even that. It's, it's, um, they, they figured out how to morph and I can talk about that more, um, okay. a little further along, but, um, but when I, one of the, big death knells i think of of ati was when they stopped hosting their knoxville conferences in knoxville okay people would complain that it was on the east coast so it was a long way from california or you know washington or oregon and there were a lot of ati families in those areas and traveling to knoxville tennessee was a Mm. very big hardship on their families and so people felt left out and so there was a lot of complaints about that. And so Bill thought, okay, well, we'll divide it up into regional conferences. And so there would be one in the East and one in the West. And then, and once they were so much smaller, that feeling of being a part of something big and amazing was lost. Mm. And so people just drifted away because they weren't the the intensity of it, the excitement of it, the we can bump into Bill and we can yeah, meet the Duggars. Like, mm. mm-hmm. And so that happened. And so that was the first thing that caused them to start losing people. The second thing that they did was that in um I wanna say twenty ten, um a website was launched called Recovering Grace. Okay. I actually will hope we get to this because mm. that sounds like a big, a big piece of the deconstructing was a ATI huge stuff. Huge piece of the puzzle. There was a book written as well. Um, a cult watching group wrote a book um, exposing it as a cult and okay. kind of went through and explained why ATI was a cult, which we'll get into more later. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things began to happen and so bad press began to spread and with the evolution of the internet with the evolution with the duggars now pulling so much attention onto ati um people were kind of like am i involved in something weird Mm. i think a lot of the more mainstream people that had been in and using other 
things to actually educate their children, but were coming because it was cool to mm. be an ATI, suddenly it wasn't cool anymore. Mm. So I think that that was how it began to shrink. But really, it's the, it's the internet. So the, 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 the website was called Recovering Grace, is that it? Dot org. Mm-hmm. And it was a website dedicated to telling survivor stories of people coming mm-hmm. out of ATI. Okay. Like exactly. stories like yours that you went through. Um, In fact, my story is on there. My oh, story okay. of my, it's called um, my ITC prison sentence, I think uh, is what okay. it's called. And it was released in four part, three parts or four parts. Okay. My roommate's um, reaction is the last part and it's really, really good. Mm. Um, but I wrote it and it was the first time I thought about it again like this is the type of thing that i left and was like that was super embarrassing Mm. (laughs) like i don't really want to talk about this i don't want people to know about it Mm. um which is very typical reaction to ptsd uh, or ptsd reaction is to just almost completely forget that this happened and so writing this that we were talking in online forums about our experiences in ati and it, it came up that I had been in the prayer room and people were like, wait, what? You weren't an LIT, a leader in training. And I said, no, I was a regular student. They're like, I didn't know that happened. And I was like, it definitely did because it happened to me. There are other people that it happened to. I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was like hard to find us. Mm-hmm. So Someone they encouraged asked you to, like, to share your story mm-hmm. about it. And I had no idea what was, was going to dredge up for me, mm. um, was not prepared for that. And I was also not prepared for the backlash from the leadership wow. that was there at the time. They came after you? Mm-hmm. Oh, and wow. they they contacted Recovering Grace and was like, she's lying. This didn't happen. Like, she said it happened. So they did their due diligence, you know, their team, because they weren't friends of mine necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, we some of us kind of knew each other from online groups, but... okay. They did all of their due diligence and they contacted me and they said, um, <laughs> their biggest complaint is that you're telling it in a way that makes it sound bad, but they're not having any, they don't have any actual disagreement with anything you said, you know, just that you're making it sound like it was a bad thing. Yeah. It was a bad thing. <laughs> We've gotten that feedback even to our podcast at this point. I got a message yeah. that was yes. like, it's not sounding nice, you know, and it's sort of like, yeah, because yeah, well, it's not nice material. It's not there's not a right? nice way to put this sort of to, to make right. people not look bad. You know, I think somebody so, said right. that we're uh, we have this, you know, jovial tone and, and we sound so happy. But the material is really not, you know, it's yeah. not happy. <laughs> well, sometimes, How dare you? Yeah, I know, right? How dare you laugh and, <laughs> while you're presenting tough material? I know. It's so funny. And the other thing, too, is that a few people. The, the few people that had they talked to, I think I only talked to like three people who tried to say that my story was not true. And the other person that they talked to that was like adamant that it wasn't true didn't know wasn't there. Like wow. they were like, well, were you there? Did you go into the, any of the counseling sessions with her? Well, no. They just know. Did you did you know anybody else who did? And, and then that's not how it went down. Well, no. You know, so they they. They just were like, but that just doesn't sound like how it would go. It's just people <laughs> not wanting to hear the yeah. truth who yeah. end up being defensive because they don't want to know that they're linked mm-hmm. in with something that mm-hmm. has done yeah. awful yeah. things to people. Right. I mean, I've we've we've uncovered a few people's stories and that's something that's mm-hmm. happened to multiple people where it's like they they will they'll have people attacking them who mm-hmm. are pretending they know their story better than, than the person telling yeah. their story. Yeah. And it's like, well, wait a second. Right. You, were you there? No, you weren't there. No, but you're going to act there. like you know how that conversation in the room went, but you weren't there. Right. So how does that work? Yeah. Right. Well, I know that that organization. I know that church. I know I those know pastors. Pastor. They couldn't do. Something they like they're that. not capable of yeah. that. Right. No. 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 Right. no. Yeah. And exactly. yet, and, and yet, that's, so that's many kind of, those, of what was. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No. No. That was kind of what was said. You know, is that I I know that especially the pastor that thunderingly mm. preached at me. They're like, I know him. He was the nicest man ever, and I'm like, I'm sure he was a very nice man. I didn't say he wasn't right. a nice man. I just said he preached at me at the top of his lungs, <laughs> and you know that's how it happened. Yeah. You know, you weren't in the room. It was kind of it, and it's one thing to sit in his his congregation and have him preach at you like that in right. your congregation. You know that, but it's a totally different thing to be a tiny little girl in a room alone with this. You know, yeah. Yeah, once you've been terrorized so, for a few days straight and you're having to listen to them yeah, yell at yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there's, and there's, you know, other things like, well, Jessica wasn't the perfect ATI student and da, 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 da. And mm. I've never claimed that I was. Right. Um, in fact, you know, I have ADHD. It was very difficult for me to follow all the rules and do everything right. And, mm-hmm. and I was struggling, but I did definitely have a heart to fall. I was not a rebellious mm. person. Right. That was not like ATI's, even ATI's definition of rebellious. Mm-hmm. It was not. Mm. Um, and that's been something that's been hard for me to grapple with ever since because you're drilled into your head this concept of rebellion being this the ultimate sin. I mean, mm-hmm. you should be stoned wow. if your parents were, you know, devout enough. Wow. They'd stone you if you were rebellious. Right. Right. And right. so, and of course, what's rebellion? Whatever, whoever decides it is that day, you know, mm-hmm. like that was very terrifying. Mm-hmm as a young person mm. and so i was very very much i spent most of my teen years very afraid mm. yeah <laughs> just afraid in, in case anyone is wondering um the when you use the word stoned um that's not that doesn't mean a good thing <laughs> yeah that's not the good kind of stone <laughs> it's not a good kind of stone <laughs> this is a biblical stoning <laughs> it's a biblical term that <laughs> references throwing rocks having at rocks thrown at you mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah until you die yeah yeah yep exactly put you in a pit and throwing rocks at you mm-hmm. until you die yeah um, and it's pretty heavy. Yeah. Barbaric. Yeah. And pretty terrifying mm-hmm. to a teenager who's, we were taught to take so many things literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, man, that was a huge eye opening thing coming out was that I didn't have to take everything literally. Mm-hmm. Like those are, that was one of my first steps towards deconstruction. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys have been on similar journeys, mm-hmm. you know, where you just yeah. are like, oh, I yeah. don't have to think of that as right. literally how that went down or what right. that was. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Coming out of cults. Right? You know, and people wanting to not uh, hear your story and responding negatively when you're talking about that. I was thinking, you probably get a lot of people that say to you things like, okay, you had a a bad ATI experience. Some things went wrong, but Mm -hmm. you're going a little strong on your podcast calling it a cult. What would Mm -hmm. you, how... How would you go about trying to break it down for people who don't recognize that it's a cult or that they were in a cult or that they're still a part of a cult? Yes. Well, and and okay, ever since the evolution of true crime mm, podcasts yeah. and true crime stories and, and books and all of that, people love true crime. And, and a, an entire genre of true crime is cult um, abuse and cults and um you know, Jonestown massacres mm. and, you know, like these types of things like capture people's imaginations. And most of the cults people have heard of, they think of if you were to ask them, what is a cult? They'd be like, well, a group of people that follow this leader and he brainwashes them all until they all die or until something. They all I don't poison know. together in, in yeah. the desert yeah. in that compound. Yeah. Or they and all die. commit a crime together, right. you know, or they or they all live in a compound in the middle of the woods and <laughs> yeah. sell all their belongings. You know, like I mean, people don't really know what makes a cult mm-hmm. a cult. Well, and I was going to say, and, growing up evangelical, the cults were the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses because they didn't mm-hmm. believe. The yes. Bible yeah. was the inspired word in the way that the other group did. They had an extra book. They had yeah. an extra book or they had some organization sending them, I don't know, magazines that were the more mm-hmm. Bible than the Bible. And, you know, <laughs> anyway, all that to say, those were the ones we were scared of. Yeah. So the only definite mm-hmm. working definition I had as a kid for cult was like this organization that claims to be Christian, but really they got some tenet of theology wrong. So that's what makes them a cult. Yeah. But we weren't really taught yeah. to recognize cults in terms of, um, well, I mean, I think of the bite model, which you go into mm-hmm. on your podcast yes. in, in depth, connecting it with ATI. Do you want to give a little bit on that maybe to help people? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't have my notes in front of me right now, but um, the bite model um, is... Um, behavior okay, control. Hang on. Let me see if I can remember, because I've listened to your episodes recently. One was behavior control. One was information control. Let's see if I can do this by memory. And then the second one was... Thought control? No, behavior, information, thought, and what was the last one? Behavior control, information control, um, thought control, and emotional control. Oh, I got three out of four by memory. Yeah, well done. You were doing good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I had just recently listened to you talking about the bite model and explaining this, and yes. I, and with you and your co-host going through and and kind of um, helping, I guess, people to be able to understand how it 
ties into ATI. It help people identify yes. what a cult looks like. Yes. And and I think that and I, I do want to credit the person who who has pulled this all together mm-hmm. and designed it is Stephen Hassan and um his his research on authoritarian control. Yeah. And so cults fall under authoritarian control groups that are authoritarian and controlling. Mm-hmm. And so that's what was helpful for me because a lot of people are like Again, yeah, what what makes something a cult? And there are jobs you can get where you, you it becomes a cult in that you are there's so much of the entire system is is controlling a lot of people feel like um working for places like Amazon is almost like a cult and that they require you to think a certain way and and never speak against the organization and those types of things. So we went through the bite model mm-hmm. and just talked about the behavior control that was involved in ATI, mm-hmm. the thought control that was involved, the, the information control, the act, you know, we were not to have access to TV mm-hmm. and re- regular media. Um, we were insisting on dressing a certain way, um, wearing our hair a certain way. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it was almost, too much to even go through and, and later after I mean, we finished guys recording took two I was podcasts like, just to cover all four of them because mm-hmm. there were so many points yeah. where you could link them to what you guys went through in ATI it would have been easier for us to go through and be like ATI didn't uh, force us to have sex with anyone and ATI <laughs> didn't um, like well like you didn't have to they drink didn't have ritual, rituals involving right. that I mean obviously their understanding of marriage was mm. that, that it was implied consent yeah for the woman. Right. No such so, thing as marital uh, rape. rape. Mm. So no. then mm-hmm. we know that absolutely was happening. If there's no mention or that's not possible, definitely. then that's what's going on. Yeah. It definitely happened and was definitely something that we were um, almost expecting, you know, but, you but sort again, of groomed um, for it mentally a bit because you, yes. you're not allowed to say no. So, well, and ATI was absolutely, <laughs> it's run by a single man <laughs> who, um, had all sorts of like desires to prey on young girls. And so his, it, the, it was imperative that there was no sex education. Mm-hmm. Like it must be structured in such a way that there was nothing in any materials that you could get a hold of, even materials that were designed for married couples to have that would give you any sort of sex education. Mm-hmm. Wow. So ATI was adamantly against sex education of any sort. You were supposed to figure that out after you got married. And I remember being taught that it was just natural. Like, like animals know how to have sex. People know how to have sex. You just get married and it it works. You know nothing about it and you'll just figure it out. (laughs) Yep. Mm. And uh, that was a big shock to me. (laughs) That's not how that works. No, at all. Uh, Not at all. I mean, and I mean, I, for the cult stuff, we can, I encourage people, we'll put it in the show notes, uh, the bite model for anyone. Mm -hmm. Because I think, and this is the point where I was going with that is a lot of people might be in a cult without knowing it. Mm -hmm. I think, especially within evangelicalism, fundamentalism, a lot of people may not even know what to look for apart from, they've been taught it's about doctrine. And in a reality of things, Mm -hmm. it's a lot more like. It's about control. It's about control. I mean, you mentioned in Mm -hmm. one place in your podcast that like the really weird rules that you guys had. And one of them Mm -hmm. was when you were supposed to smile at someone for five seconds even once they turned around and i was like yes. what yeah. like this is so weird and bizarre like this is some weird yeah. crap like, i don't even know what to say. it's yeah yeah that that type of stuff we were taught that there were different types of smiles and we were taught to practice them there were ministry smiles there were um you know servanthood smiles like you just you were supposed to have a there was a happy smile where you were just happy and there was um you know this this open smile that invited people to to be comfortable with you and then there was this ministry smile we were supposed to cultivate which was so and and the idea was that we were never ever supposed to communicate negativity a lot of emotional a spiritual bypassing yeah spiritual mm-hmm. bypassing yes. through emotional control mm-hmm. yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I battled a lot of depression as a teenager. Mm. Wonder um, why. Off- <laughs> yeah, you wonder why. And I've often, like, it took a long time for my therapists that I have now to go, do you think that cult could have caused this? Because it coincides, you mm. know, because I just thought I had hormones, you know. Yeah. I was a hormonal teenager and was miserable. But I was, I was 
miserable, mm-hmm. but acting happy all the time. Mm. And very, very, int- as long as anyone was looking. Yeah. Having to like bury that deep down inside. Um, but I wanted to touch on, you mentioned, you know, how you guys weren't taught about sex. And um, it, you know, we mentioned the Duggars. <laughs> we started with that. And yes. I wanted to go back to that because yeah. we didn't actually cover uh, that story. But I mean, that story, so they started as a popular television TLC show, you know, where they were 19 kids, part of this Duggar family and part of ATI. They got very popular mm-hmm. within ATI because of their celebrity status. And then mm-hmm. uh, it comes out that the Duggar, Josh Duggar, who's one of the older kids. I don't know if he's not. He's the, the oldest. The oldest. oldest. Okay. He's their oldest son. Mm-hmm. It started coming out of stuff he had done in the past to his sisters, um, molest, sexually molesting sisters, abusing them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the parents dealt with this. I don't know if they dealt with it originally through ATI counseling or if that they did. came okay. later on. But this was their solution to yeah. dealing with. Yeah. So, so if, if I remember the timeline correctly, and again, I don't have my notes in front of me from when, but we, my podcast host and I have done episodes on just the Duggars and Josh mm. Duggars scandals. And she has, she was the one with such extensive notes and did a great job of, ex- of exposing all of that. But ATI was their go-to to fix Josh. And I would put that in air quotes again. Right. Um, by a lot of the, the idea was like manual labor and, you know, um, Go to these and training camps, also, work hard, confess your sins, and God fixes everything if you're a sexual predator. Yeah. And and then there were things that they would, like, modify. Like, they made the girls wear different types of clothes to bed, like, different types of pajamas. We were talking little girls, mm. five, six, seven, you know, that he was preying on. And so... They, you know, there was that type of stuff where ATI was like, well, you just need to make sure that modesty is practiced in the home. Wow. What a message would that send to the girls about whose fault is what? (laughs) Definitely. We all were very clear on whose fault it was Mm -hmm. if sexual assault was happening. And I remember being terrified, absolutely terrified of anything happening to me and, and firmly believing I mean, right down to my socks that it would be my fault. Like if, if a guy ever happened, did anything to you, you would have provoked it in some way. That it, would have been I your responsibility mm-hmm. to have prevented that from happening somehow. It is 100%. I understood it to be my job to make sure I was never sexually assaulted. And then, of course, you also, if that if you don't, if you end up married, happily married and good to go. And, you know, I actually didn't technically ever become sexually assaulted until I was um, 36 years old. Um, And so dealing with it then was was really, really difficult for me because uh, it was so clearly sexual assault that that I didn't you know, I wasn't drunk. I, I wasn't out on a date, you know, that type of thing. But I had been so thoroughly groomed that you take full responsibility as the woman, mm. you know, your body is already a temptation to men. And just by existing in the world as female, this is what you, you were taught. It's not true, but this is the indoctrination mm-hmm. that's been part yes, of your, this is what we were taught. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so unlearning that, you know, you, you teach that to little kids and mm. it doesn't, doesn't go, go away. away. No. No. no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then Joshua ends up married. Yes, he marries um, Anna um, Keller, and um, I believe it was her name. And uh, he, uh, they start having babies right away, like mm. you're supposed to. And it came out in, I think, 2013 that all these scandals broke at the same time. I think they were about to go on Oprah, if okay. I understand correctly. And Oprah's team was doing their due diligence. And I think they'd actually already flown them in like they had just arrived for the taping. And her team is comes like rushing into her office going, there's stuff that we're reading. This is, I don't know that we want to do this taping. And she was like, hold up. And she did more digging and sent them home. <laughs> and uh, so that's when, and then it was just weeks later that the mainstream media gra- got a hold of the same information. And so they got a hold of the police report that was filed when he was a teenager and abused his sisters. And so that hit the media. And then um, after doing a little more poking around, the Ashley Madison website right. was hacked mm-hmm. 
And he was found in there mm. as well. So looking to cheat on his wife with someone, right? Exactly. And then um, a woman came forward who was a sex worker who claimed that he had badly assaulted her. Oh, wow. Um, and so that, and I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was more than one sex worker who claims to have been um, badly, badly mistreated by, by Josh. So all that comes out and TLC cancels the show mm-hmm. by 2014, I think, okay. 2015. It's around in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So they tried to reboot it by just focusing on the other younger kids, mm-hmm. the counting on who were married and having their own kids. Um, and as these scandals just got worse and worse and as Josh was arrested for possessing um, child sexual abuse materials, mm-hmm. um they they canceled that as well. Mm. So yeah, yeah. And I I guess bringing uh, the Duggar and why I wanted to talk about this specifically and how it ties into ATI. I'm guessing for those who have gone through ATI who are in it like you for a decade or more, um, the fact that he he was charged and found guilty. Mm. What does news like that? Yeah. What is it like for survivors of ATI to hear that? And what what kind of what kind of an impact does that make, a guilty verdict? Um, and someone yeah. who's, I'm guessing his dad did a lot of covering for him yeah. and defending of him. Um, probably yeah. a lot of the whole ATI movement might have rallied around uh, those who are still in it, possibly. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, ATI family housed him during, you know, the trial so that he wouldn't have to be in jail, you know, and they like uprooted their entire family so that they could make a room for him to be comfortable, you know, outside of jail during the trial and all these things like for those of us that have watched our friends, our close people that we have walked this journey of trying to hold Bill accountable for his sexual assaults. um, We just didn't have a lot of hope that, that Josh would actually be convicted. Um, And as the, as the people that followed it closely, became more and more disgusted by what was in that the what they found on Josh's computer and what he was doing and into um it just became so horrifying and and there was just so much of the exploitation of children that mm. we all felt we had been so exploited by being kept from information that would have kept us safe by um or at least allowed us to have a vocabulary to report things that happened. So many, so many of HI young people have stories of being assaulted as children, sexually abused as children, and you know having no clue, none until they were full adults. So how do you hold anyone accountable when statute of limitations run out and all these sorts of things? And so the day that that verdict came down. We were all calling each other and just sobbing. Mm. It was it was just I don't have words. Kathleen and I, my podcast partner, recorded our reaction to the verdict. Actually, we tried to record it in the car because I was driving and it was that day and our emotions were so high and the the audio was so corrupted. We didn't Mm. weren't end up able to use much of it. Um, So we recorded again about a a week later. and just talked about all those feelings and all the phone calls we had and the sobbing. And, and like when Kathleen called me to tell me the verdict because I was not watching the news, I couldn't even understand her. I was like, Kathleen, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Hold on. I'm going to put in my AirPods so I can hear you better. And my daughter was with me. She's like, what's happening? I'm like, I don't know. But Kathleen's crying. And she's like, oh, no. And I in the headphones. And she's like, guilty, 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 guilty. And she's like just repeating it over and over. And I just was instantly crying as well. I mean, it's very hard for people outside of ATI to understand i think maybe anybody else who has um also endured childhood sexual abuse and felt like their abuser would never see any accountability it was probably very emotional for them as well Mm. but yeah Yeah. it was it was a very emotional day it felt some like like a collective sigh for the whole yes ex-ati community who had watched cover-ups or had watched people Mm -hmm. get away with stuff and where it felt like this organization had so much power and the people doing damage were just getting off the hook all the time. Yeah. And and 
the quiverful movement is idolized so much. I mean, even people who don't want to be adherents of it mm-hmm. think it's romantic. They think it's 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 cute. They think it's adorable. These enormous families with all their little kids in a cute little row. No, and wearing matching clothing. and all wearing matching clothes and the mamas look so radiant and happy and the hubbies look so proud and, you know, virile and I don't know, whatever <laughs> all this was. You know, it's like this thing that you're taught is this amazing. And so people on the outside get into it. They think it's really cool. And nobody seems to stop and go wait what would it be like to be mm. one of those older children who's working your fingers to the bone to keep that family running right um or then what it was like for me to grow up as a second generation and then have eight children mm. um the whole time going I don't understand. Why did I think this was romantic? <laughs> it's not romantic. It's hard, 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 hard work. Yeah. And I, I love my kids to pieces and I, you know, I wouldn't change anything, but at the same time, I would never recommend it to anyone. Right. Well, I have two kids and anyone who has more than me. So <laughs> anyone with three plus, I'm always like, wow, how? <laughs> and like just in awe and I take off my hat to you. And that, that's like just that having two. So yeah, it's a lot of work well, and, having children. And, and as a parent with ADHD, you have a, a really difficult time. And, you know, you yeah. we've talked about it earlier in our, our the previous podcast just about us all having some neurodiversity going on there and mm. some ADHD. I think we were chatting before and, we even got started about our ADHD, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure anyone listening to this is like, yep, they all have ADHD. <laughs> it's kind of clear with how our stories trail and go off on all kinds of tangents. Yeah. Yes, but it's even harder when you're parenting, mm. you know, you're trying to keep it all straight. You're trying to keep everybody's schedule straight. I now have four adult children. Um, one of my adult children is special needs, so she will never really grow up all the way. Mm. Um, and then all the way down to seven-year-old twin boys. Um, and so I'm trying to, you know, help my older kids navigate their life and visit them in all the places that they live and um be involved in their lives the way they want their mom to be involved and then also run my seven-year-olds to school mm. every day and, you know, all their activities and, and everything in between, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's really, it's really hard and it's not the romance that it, you're told it mm. is. And so um, I think that it's very hard for all of us who grew up in it to know how to, to talk about it. Yeah. Because if we are parents of a lot of kids, we don't ever want our kids to think that we don't want them or we are no. crazy about them or would send any of them back. We would never, you know, we're, we're thrilled. And, and having a big family is a lot of fun. I mean, there are yeah. some, <laughs> it's crazy in our house that we have a lot of fun. But both can be true um, at the same mm-hmm. time. You can love your they kids are. and it could be a blast at times and it could also be mm-hmm. really difficult at times and it could be overwhelming at times. And one does and it not- can be- and it can be very toxic. Yeah. yeah. It can be very toxic to attempt to be enough of a parent to that many people yeah. because you cannot spread yourself. You can't divide yourself. Each time you divide yourself, you divide your, it's smaller. Yeah. Each piece is littler. Yeah. Right. It's out. So when it they works. romanticize and, the quiverful movement, one of the things they're not bothering to take into consideration is how it impacts each child when there's an enormous family. Mm-hmm. I, I knew a very large yeah. family where when the mom got pregnant, she made an announcement and her kids started crying. Um, mm. They were part of a really big family and it was that dividing of attention, right? Yeah. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. now there's going to be even one more to have to okay. share our parents with yeah. and more responsibility taken on by the rest of the kids who are older. And that kind yeah. of stuff mm-hmm. is not part of the quiverful teaching in terms of the consequences or the reality of what yeah. it looks like to be in that kind of a family. So we've used the, yeah. the term quiverful a few times. Um Maybe just a, a little bit of background. I know it's, it's probably common parlance for a lot of people listening to the podcast, but I'm sure there are there are a handful who have never heard of it. Um, so uh, just briefly, um, what is it and, and where does that name come from? Why is it called Quiverful? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's from Proverbs from a, a verse in Proverbs where it's a, it, I can't I can't quote exact chapter and verse, but the, the verse is that, um, you know, blessed is a man who has his quiver full, mm. which is, and it says children are a blessing from the Lord 
and they are as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. So are children of your youth. And so blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. So the idea is that if you have a lot of kids when you're young, and this is, again, it's male, very right. male, very, very patriarchal, this idea that you are a more of a man if you have a lot of children and you get to mold them, shape them into your beliefs, your ide- ideology. And, and I think in this case, it's even like your your ability to conquer mm. other peoples, other groups, because that's that was would have been happening in that era of Proverbs, right? right? Is that um, tribes would be getting together and conquering other peoples, right? And so if you had a lot of children, you would have, and, and especially male children, then you would have more warriors mm-hmm. to and if they're your children, they're going to follow you in a, in, a, in a way. And so that's what all of this imagery is. Mm. This is quiverful is this image of having these a whole lot of children that think and believe like you, who you can then send out into the world and take over the culture mm. in, a, in a way you can shape and mold and and. I remember thinking, there's not enough of us. I mean, even if you're <laughs> yeah, at this yeah. big conference, right. you know, you're looking around. How many of us are going to have to these... make 12 babies before this starts to make a difference? <laughs> <laughs> and then the Trump era came. Mm. And and here, I know, um, Gail, you're Canadian, so this is a little bit different for you. But for us, you know, this what I, I stopped and I went, it worked. Mm. Oh I mean, like the amount of propaganda that they poured into these families these large families that they then took out with them mm. into the world and but the, he, there are also a lot of us that right. have reacted yeah. really strongly yeah. i know you nate you and there are a lot of us that yeah. have walked away and are very strongly and again that circles back to the reason for my podcast you know mm. um, we wanted to talk about that i want to know the inspiration for your podcast what motivated you and your co-host kathleen to Take this on, yeah. leaving the village. Tell us how long yes. have you guys been running it for a year now? It's a year, yes. And you right finally at it, met in person. Yes, we actually <laughs> met in person. We've been in the same ATI recovery groups. We had these groups on Facebook since the early, you know, at twenty. 10 2011 but about when recovering grace launched we all found each other and started these facebook groups and we would you know talk and hang out and exchange stories and and deconstruct together we all and so i'd known of kathleen for a really long time and she'd known of me and um we got to talking on the phone during the lockdown period of the early pandemic Mm -hmm. and you know when you're sick and tired of (laughs) staring at the same walls and talking to the same four people that are your best (laughs) friends you're kind of like i'm gonna call up this person and we're gonna talk and that's kind of what happened with kathleen and i and we hit it off we enjoyed having some fun i really wanted to talk about i had read the handmaid's tale Mm. and i really wanted to talk about it and i mentioned in one of the groups i was like can we have like a group chat like i need to talk about this book and she was one of the people that called me up and was like let's talk i'll talk Mm. i you know she was recovering from a surgery and we did and we talked a lot and one day we got to talking about the movie um the m night um m night Shyamalan movie yeah movie the village Mm. um and how much it it impacted us when it came out um i think i saw it in 2005 um which was a few years i think or right around when it came out or just a couple of years it was after probably around that time I, I know i was still at bob jones when it came out but i went with a few friends and yeah yeah it it hit <laughs> oh I, it hit so yeah. hard I, for me just a quick caveat no i didn't get permission to see it it was during <laughs> was during summer break so Did you get some demerits for that one <laughs> no well nobody knew that during <laughs> summer break you know. i went and saw a movie <laughs> Bad, bad. Good for you. <laughs> well, it was crazy because I saw it and then because um, we saw movies pretty fast when they were coming out mm-hmm. at the time. And then all of a sudden, all of us were talking about, oh, my gosh, this is like it's it reminds us so much of an allegory of ATI of, of like the world that we were taught was going to be safe and keep us and then that we were going to be exceptional. We were going to experience life in a way that was so special 
special. Mm. You, we were not going to experience the things the world experiences, which is, if you've seen the village, is kind of the point. Mm-hmm. They pull their families out into this compound in order to have, yeah. you know, to be away from bad things, mm. all the bad things. And they scare these kids to death to try to make sure that they don't leave. Mm-hmm. And we were also very afraid of the world. So we were talking about the movie and we were talking about all our feelings about it. And um, we were talking again another day and I said, I've been thinking it would be really cool to do a podcast where we talk about this stuff and we interview some of our people that we've been with and just kind of get all this ATI. I mean, people love hearing about cults. Why don't we talk about ours? And Mm. she's like, sign me up. Let's do it. And she said, Jess, you know what we should do? We should call it leaving the village. And I was like, she said, you know, like the village. And I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so that was the beginning of that. Cool. So we started collecting show notes in the fall of 2020. And then by December, we were starting to do some recording. And we released our episode, our first episode, the end of January in 2021. Wow. So a whole and year, we, a little over a year yeah, ago. Yeah. And at first, we were going to be really consistent and like every week, and we were had such great plans. And then it ended up just we just threw them out as we got them, yeah. and um, we're still kind of doing that. And it's been it's been really good. Mm. It's been have you guys gotten some, some great feedback? Have people have any has anyone come we to have. you to talk about? I'm just curious. Anyone who was trying to get out of ATI listening to your show maybe was helpful in that process of understanding. I think, you know, the one, the most we've heard of that type of thing is people that hadn't found the courage to call it a cult. Mm. Uh, they were so newly out that yeah. they couldn't, they didn't feel, and they said, your podcast gave us permission to use that word. Mm-hmm. And it, I didn't know what that was going to feel like. Mm. Oh my gosh. Some of those messages just hit us so hard. And it was not, it was quite a few people that, mm. that messaged us and said something similar in that. It just what the it, word cult yeah. associated with ATI just rocked them hmm. in a way that they they weren't expecting and what a milestone event in someone's healing to yeah. be able to name it as yeah. a cult like once you're able to identify that something you lived through that you that was hurting you but that you couldn't put your mm-hmm. finger on how why it was toxic mm-hmm. or what was it to be able to name it as yeah. a cult would be yeah. such a big milestone on the healing path I think yeah. And I say, I think that that's been the biggest feedback we've gotten from people that have said, this has helped me so much. Mm. And, um, and then the other is just that they, a lot of people have messaged us and said they've been afraid to think about it and remember it mm. and to go back and, and go over some of this stuff. And our podcast is accessible enough for them. It's, it's, we take it piece by piece it's not real we don't tackle huge portions of it at once you know one podcast will talk about clothing all the weird clothes that ati was about and another one will talk about you know training center life and then another one will talk about you know just um one of the wisdom papers or something yeah Mm. the wisdom booklets yeah Mm. that is what they called our curriculum and um just and at one point we talked about even just how ati morphed our personalities or tried to shape and and label our personalities Mm. in a really odd way that it had its own thing so it's it's very bite-sized for people Mm -hmm. it's not and and and, i mean if you want to know what ati is in a nutshell our podcast isn't probably (laughs) if you want to go in depth if you like going down a rabbit hole this is gonna be but i start a binge (laughs) but i think i definitely if i was a part of ati i would i'm i was listening to it out of curiosity cults have always fascinated me but also learning how it's not just the ones that drink poison at the end and move to the compound that are in cults i have Mm -hmm. becoming become more aware of what a cult entails and Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's super helpful to to learn about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And even according to the bite model, some of the ones that are household names, like a church that I yes. used to go to, um, if you, you know, apply the bite, bite model, you start to wonder. But which one? <laughs> which one? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot yeah. of churches that will fall oh, yeah. into the category. Yeah. I think it's important and for people to realize that, mm-hmm. that they may be in a cult without I even. Think re- so. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. I had I a, think so. a sort of wrapping up kind of question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, you left, you left ATI um, and how did your parents react? What is your relationship with them like after all this oh. time? 
That is a very good question as well. So there is an episode with my mother. If you want to listen to that, it's also one of our most popular episodes because my mom is amazing and mm. just her heart for, for wanting to be open about the process of us all leaving because they left at the same time we did um, or my, my husband at the time and we left and my parents were done too at that time. And um, my mom actually yesterday sent me uh, some notes. She's like, I've, I'm ready to record again. She said, let's talk some more. And I'm so excited. She wants to talk too about how you applying the word cult mm. to what we all experienced was hard for her because they signed us up for this, yeah. you know? Um, and so, yeah, my relationship with my parents is, um, is healthy now. And, and one that I think is not perfect mm -hmm. and definitely, um, it's hard for us, but we love each other and we're all very close. Um, my siblings and I, and my parents, and we try to be gentle with each other as we, um, just, sometimes confront you know this happened yeah and and sometimes my parents are like really i don't remember but okay mm. you know and yeah. and they've been good at, at just being like wow I, you know i just we didn't even have any clue that that was going to be what that was yeah. like and what an example um, and they've, yeah. yeah it's very rare <laughs> um kathleen and i both have parents that are willing to look at this and say it's messed up mm -hmm. and we're really sorry and we wish we had never gotten involved mm -hmm. um and it's been very healing for us and it's freed us to pursue whatever therapies we've needed and to blurt something out you know at a family <laughs> gathering i think one mother's day i ended up blurting something out at the dinner table and my sister later was like you have ruined mother's day for mom and i was like I just, it's like, it's just right there under the surface and I'm so <laughs> angry, you know, and she's like, but Mother's Day? And, you know, to my mom's credit, she never made me feel bad about that conversation at dinner that Mother's mm. Day. And I don't think she's ever mentioned it. I'm the only, probably, the, I'm probably the only one that remembers. Um, probably my <laughs> sister was really mad at me. Uh, she's, she's very much the peacemaker. Um, but no, it was, it's been good and our family has walked out, you know, and, and in our own ways and, and created a lot of space for each of us to be where we're at. Mm. And I'm definitely the most vocal. I'm definitely the one who has deconstructed my faith the most. Um, they've all had different levels of deconstruction mm -hmm. and, you know, becoming healthier people um, after leaving, mm -hmm. which has been such a wonderful process. But I love that my mom's willing to come on my podcast. I, and that's talk amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I love watching parents. Um, and maybe it's because we're both parents, me and you, Jessica, but like watching other yeah. parents who can admit they did it wrong. And I think yeah. I'm thinking of how your relationship with your mom and dad has been preserved. Not perfect. None mm -hmm. of our relationships with parents will ever be. But yeah, I'm guessing if people leave cults and their parents don't, it kind of is going to be a I mean, in ATI, you're, you're taught to shun, if I'm not mistaken, anyone who leaves, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking... Well, there's a shunning process. Yeah, it's different than, like, I watched, you know, some documentaries about, like, the these... Uh, the What's that called? The Tom Cruise is in. Oh, like yeah. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Scientology. Um, Scientology. Yeah. Scientology. Yeah. There we go. I was like, it just. <laughs> but yeah, you know, they they have an intense shaming process where mm. you just you absolutely have to cut off people. We weren't taught that, but we were also it was almost like reverse psychology where you're like, well, you should only socialize with people in. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's not explicitly so by, stated, but it kind of right. creates that environment anyway. So yeah. by default, people who leave, you're going to ignore them mm. and you're going to, you're not going to be close to them anymore. Right. Um, I'm just thinking so, yeah. of how beautiful it is when a mom recognizes, and again, speaking, probably pulling from my personal mistakes, <laughs> You know, yes. <laughs> whether it's who I chose to marry, putting them in the church, I, the, like all the different th decisions yes. I made with what I knew um, and looking yes, back yes. and, and wishing I could redo, having to apologize to my kids on a lot of stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the, all the moms who misled their kids into something harmful and then had mm -hmm. the capacity afterwards to acknowledge that they did that, to say, I'm mm -hmm. sorry to their kids, to give their kids yeah. space to process, to support their kids and vocalizing yes. themselves mm -hmm. and then it's huge yeah it's huge and the example that that is for me like because i've had to do it with my kids too my kids are adults now and they have 
no trouble telling me <laughs> that I have screwed up massively on many, many, many occasions. And we have g- really good conversations about it. And I've, I felt like my mom's willingness to do it was almost like, I like to say it this way. It's like, you find out you're not going to die. Yeah. If you say I was wrong, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. You're not going to die. You'll live through it because my mom lived through it. She said, I shouldn't have done that. And I, I hate that we did that to you. Mm. And I just had, and, and that, and that was it. Like she didn't say any, but, but, no, but. I, mm. we, were, but yeah. we were trying to, you know, unless I ask, yeah. what were you thinking? What were yeah. you trying? Well, we were trying to. Yeah. I just think that's such a beautiful example. And I hope anyone listening who, you know, maybe they, they made a choice for their family and they're starting to question it to know there is a there, you know, you can look your kids in the face at some point and let them know, hey, I recognize we led you wrong or we didn't know that it yes. was turning out like this. We didn't know that it was harming mm-hmm. you in this way. I know you've yeah. when I look at Nate's parents and coming out of fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys have gone through a lot of that, too. Yeah. With yeah. that. You've had this. You have that same good relationship with your family in part because of their Putting their kids first before right, their right. their cult uh, exactly. indoctrination mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. There, there were uh, yeah. things that my parents recognized um, in during the time that we left um, the fundamentalist church. That you know, my dad had um, you know had words with the pastor and some of the deacons mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the and and gave kind of this a uh, little bit of a of a warning. This sense of you know you keep this up our kids aren't the last to walk out, out these doors. Um, and you know, my, my mom can, I can, I can definitely sense that, that, that feeling of, uh, of guilt for having, you know, pulled us into that environment. Um, Mm -hmm. but we do have conversations from time to time about it. Yes. Um, Very open conversations. I think that's beautiful. mm -hmm. I think, being able to see mm-hmm. parents putting their kids first. And that has helped me help, helped me feel, you know, despite the, you know, the messiness in our relationship um, in, in many ways, of course, as, as is the case. Every family. With right. Yeah. As is the case in every family. Mm-hmm. But I have, I've, because of that, because of the fact that they walked away from that with my brother and me, um, mm-hmm. I, that was a milestone enough that unconsciously at the time, but now more consciously, I recognize that there are people I can trust because in, in something big yes, and life changing yeah. like that, that they would also make the same decision as, as me and my brother. Um, that was, uh, that did a lot for, for us. And even though, that, that oh, is amazing. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even That's though it, it kind of like we had our, we had big hiccups after the fact, cause it was, it was, it was life altering to, to yes. walk out of that space. So we had a lot of dust ups after we left. Um, but like once the, once the, the dust settles, you sort of sit there and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you, you made that big decision with us and that's, that's. Yeah. And you didn't die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but you feel, you know yeah. how you feel so married to something mm-hmm. to, to, to even just that I have good intentions. Yeah. I'm trying to do the right, right. thing. Nobody and puts so, someone in a cult for a bad intention. Everyone's looking, gets no. into it because they want to do good for their family. Yeah. They want to teach good exactly. values to their yeah. kids. Yeah. Yes, they think they're going to be doing something amazing, and they have no idea mm. it's a cult. That's right. not something that no, somebody course. wakes up one morning and goes, "I'm going to join a cult today." <laughs> That's not a thing. Yeah. Um, and so, but but being able to say, "Man, I mm. screwed that one up. That is not what I was wanting to do, and I can't believe I did that, yeah. and I'm sorry." And then just realizing that 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 walking away and saying that was a mistake and we should mm. not have done it. And then you don't die. And yeah. you're like, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Maybe I can own other things too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This has been uh, a fantastic conversation. Uh, Jessica, oh. thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a lot thank of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I really enjoyed it talking with both of you. I've enjoyed following both of you for a long time. And uh, just, this has been a, really fun yeah thank you so much and for everyone who's listening i strongly encourage you to go check out the podcast leaving the village that jessica hosts with kathleen reynolds um they have so much information there it's uh it's a really good educational listen um if you're interested about cults or ati or any of that um you'll you'll walk away with a lot of knowledge and i appreciate the love of labor that that is from you guys uh wanting to help out and to to Mm -hmm. use what you've been through in order to to lift other people up 
Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, so you can find the, the podcast like anywhere, right? Yeah. Okay. All the podcasting platforms. It's on all mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. And do you have um, social media that you want to shout? We do. Okay. We do. We have um, Leaving the Village Pod on Instagram as well as Facebook. And that's pretty much the only places that we post much. Okay. I have um, I have a little TikTok that I mess around with from time to time. Go forth boldly. Ooh. <laughs> that's a um, nice play on your name. Which, yeah, a little <laughs> play on my name. Again, I just messed around with it a few times, but maybe one day there'll be more there. Fun. So feel free to check that out. Um, yeah. And... Uh, you know, you can always follow me as well on Facebook, uh, just under my regular name, Jessica Goforth. Um, I occasionally vent whatever's on my mind. And <laughs> Don't we <laughs> all? Follow along. Listen, I think exactly. I met you through Facebook watching you vent going, I need to friend this girl. She's got a <laughs> yeah, lot of yeah. really good thoughts, very deep, meaningful thoughts that are worth following. Oh, thank so thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks I again. I feel the same. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Full Mutuality. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. You can find a list of all the apps we're available on by visiting our website, fullmutuality.com, where you can also find links to all our social media pages, rate and review the show, and leave us a message. We'll see you again soon on the Full Mutuality Podcast. in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences will boggle your mind. We also cover breaking news as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode.